welcome to the podcast. This is episode two of Nancy's Next Chapter, and you are here with Leslie Wake-Webster and Nancy Dodson-Wake. Mom, you want to say hello? Hello. It's good to be here and talking to Leslie. So on this podcast, we talk about what's going on with our lives. We take a little trip down memory lane, and then we also talk about what's next, because part of this podcast is thinking about what's next in your life. Leslie, I have to tell you that I was, as you know, I keep this five-year diary. You and I both keep a a five-year journal where uh, each day it'll say like January 1st, and then you fill in the blank what year it is. And so you have five years right in a row of here's what I did on January 1st, 2022. And then next year it'll say what I did on 2023. And it triggers those memories. Yes. Did you not tell me that you started a new five-year cycle this year? Yes. Yes, I did. I'm on the fifth year of mine. So I will have to get another one next year. But it is so much fun. I was looking back and realized that this coming week on, I think it's June 15th, was my debut into Duplicate Bridge. And I think I had told you at one point in time, I went into this thinking, Ma taught us all to play bridge and not only taught us to play bridge, but any boyfriend that came to the house also had to learn to play bridge. That's right. That was how you courted one of the Dodson sisters, right? You had to show up at their house and play bridge. with Was Ma always part of the game? No, she usually directed. I wish I could have recorded some of the expressions on these boys' faces, and they were boys, and particularly your dad. And you know, your dad was very anxious to please Ma. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I feel like the uh, the stereotypical thing is that a boy comes over to the house and the father of the house shakes his hand too hard and sits him down and kind of puts him through the ringer and. <laughs> This was a very different sort of test. You had to show up and learn to play bridge. And of course, your dad was such an expert at that. I mean, trying to please her. And she just, you could see that she just really responded to that. But anyway, one of the things that I wrote down about that first experience at Duplicate Bridge, I went into it thinking, well, I played all of my life since I was a teenager, how much more do I need to learn? Well, in duplicate has a whole different set of procedures, particularly with bidding. And these people that I'm playing with at this bridge club, most of them have played for years. And many of them are master bridge players. And they were so kind. Particularly, the first thing I learned that you don't do is you never say a bid out loud. Wow, that's so different. Oh, my gosh. Do you think I could manage that? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And, of course, I kept forgetting to do. You know, I would just say, okay, two clubs or something, whatever I wanted to say out loud. But I remember thinking, there is so much I need to learn about bidding and about actually playing. So it was such a an event. I'm very impressed because I think it's it's pretty hard to learn a new version of a game you know well. 
You know, in some ways, it might have been easier to learn a, a game you had never played as opposed to learning a new way of playing a game that you'd played for, you know, 70 years, essentially. And, yes. And I started all of this explanation to you because on this past Friday, I was not playing with my usual Friday partner because she's in Alaska. I was lucky because I ended up, the person who was my partner was the director and, and former and teacher of the, this particular bridge club. And anyway, we, we got some really interesting hands and I always get apprehensive because I think, Oh, even though she knows that sometimes my brain and my, my actions don't match up well. Anyway, after one hand that was either game, I think it was a gay man in like five of something. And at the end, she stopped the whole, whole class and said, I just want you to know that Nancy Way played this hand as well, if not better than I could have. Oh, what a compliment. <laughs> well, I just nearly fell out on the floor and everyone <laughs> applauded. And I thought, Oh, for all of the times that I've gone home and thought, I can't continue with this. This makes it worth it. Oh, that's so, a great victory, oh, Mom. Congrats. I, I, so anyway, and then I read that it had been exactly one year ago that I first started doing this. So it's interesting that you're doing something new, but also something you've done your whole life and that connects you back to Ma. And for anyone who doesn't know who we're talking about, when we say Ma, we're talking about my mom's mother, Aline Dodson. We called her Ma. She lived in the house with us. And she, uh, gosh, my first memory of playing cards was was with her because she was an avid bridge player. And I think she yes. started us out with kings on the corner and, you know, yes. slapjack. But we we eventually progressed to to bridge. But yes, she had the upper floor of our house and had a constant stream of ladies coming up to play bridge. Or pulling up and honking the horn so that she would come down. I remember Nazarita Price would pull up and just, "Eh, eh, eh." and then Ma would come down the stairs and she'd be gone for a day of bridge. Yes, she would have. And, you know, in retrospect, I have so often thought after her married life as a farmer's wife cooking for field crews at lunch and raising four daughters. I am amazed that at long last, she had an opportunity to live the kind of life that she got to choose everything she wanted to do. Right. Your dad died when she was 40 and she moved to a new community and started a whole new life. It was her next chapter. She had no obligations to my father or anyone else. She could just be that. And I think Playing bridge was one of those things that I don't even have any idea when she learned to play bridge. So one of the saddest moments that I remember, and I know I've said this to you before, was after she was in an assisted living home and she couldn't remember how to play bridge. It makes me want to cry now thinking about that. Because that brought her so much pleasure. And all of these ladies that she played bridge with uh, were the same way. 
It was just lovely. (laughs) Well, I had never thought about the fact that that shift for her, suddenly she gets to start over in Lexington with a a different world and a different job and she can do what she wants. But I believe she had lived there. I know she went to school. Her uh, bachelor's degree was from EKU, Eastern Kentucky University. And she took that and went back to, I'm sure, an environment that she was comfortable in. And she worked for the Baptist Church when we first got there. Right. Was she uh, like a, a receptionist, maybe, or a office like person? Like an assistant. Yeah, an office assistant. But it gave her an entry into a new population. Gosh, and I think about how unusual it is or was that she went to college yes you know and and so i guess she would have been going to college in the mid-1930s in the middle of the depression no less i'm trying to think maybe she didn't get a degree maybe she just went for one or two years i know her sister ina who was the youngest of the three dodson children did get a degree from uh berea oh wow Do you have any glimpse into who drove that? Was that their mom or their dad? Like, it's just very unusual for two girls in the mid-1930s from rural Kentucky to both go to college far away from home. You know, I don't know, Leslie. That would be something that now that I'm retired and supposedly can select all of my activities, (laughs) I might need to pursue that. That's a really interesting aspect of her life. Yeah, to think she had a taste of higher education. She got a glimpse of this totally different life. And then she came back home and she got married and had kids and became a full-time wife and mother. Plus, she had to feed and care for all the people who lived and worked on that farm. Plus, this was the family farm. So things like slaughtering hogs in the winter That all took place at the home place. And everybody that lived in the area in the family came and helped out. Oh, gosh. What what did you think about that, watching animals being slaughtered? I think it was mainly the business of life. The only time that I remember being so distressed was when I was old enough to participate in 4-H clubs. And we Mm -hmm. had... One of our projects was raising a calf uh, for sale. And at one point in time, one of the calves that I'm sure I had named in spite of my dad saying, no, you don't want to do this. But anyway, he was trying to get it loaded uh, to take it someplace. And the calf just absolutely balked on him. And he ended up hitting it with uh, like a milking stool or something to get it to do what he wanted it to. And he hit it at just the right point and it dropped dropped right there. Oh, dropped dead? It dropped dead right there on the ground. And the only thing he said to me, he said, Nancy, go get a butcher knife. And of course, he wanted the knife to cut its throat so it would bleed out. Right. So that you could use the meat. Oh, wow. Talk about traumatic. Yes. That is a rough lesson in farm life. 
But the other aspect of farm life that I remember in this small community was that all of the neighbors helped each other. When one neighbor had a crop to bring in, everybody that had equipment or could help went to that that farm and got it done. And that's something, of course, with the all of the major equipment now that farmers have, I suspect, you don't have that sense of community. Do you remember what, what were the crops on your, your family's farm? Corn and tobacco, particularly at that time, was a major crop. And corn, of course, because we had this attached to the barn, was this silo. So the corn was ground up and put into, blown into this silo. And one of the things that I remember, which we all enjoyed, even my county cousins uh, (laughs) enjoyed, was jumping down into the silage. (laughs) So we had a great time doing that. Well, when you say your townie cousins, I feel like that implies, did did they feel like they were uh, a little bit fancier because they didn't live on a farm? They lived in town? I don't think so, but they had a very different style of life. On Saturdays, I remember my dad would go into town usually to do shopping and get supplies that he needed, and we would end up spending the day with my cousins in town. And that was one of those periods of time, Leslie. And I'm trying to think how old I might have been. I know I was in school. But we would go to the movie theater, which opened at noon, and you had cereals at that time. You know, usually a Western cereal that got, you, you had one episode a week, and then usually some kind of Western movie. And so we spent the afternoon in the movie theater. What else would you do in town? If my father had had to go into town to run errands for anything, then we got dropped off at the swimming pool on our way. And then he would pick us up on the way back. I think I was in my teens by the time this happened. Gosh, lots of things too that you don't remember details about. Well, Mom, I feel like this was, uh, we did all the parts together in one. We sort of talked about what's going on right now and a walk down memory lane. Um, Well, I think we can wrap this up for this week. This has been another fun podcast episode for us anyway. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. I am so enjoying this. Thanks for listening to Nancy's Next Chapter. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at nancywakepodcast at gmail.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-W-A-K-E podcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Podigy for help with all of our audio editing. Our theme music is Beautiful Dreamer by Stephen Foster, played by Nancy Wake. Nancy Wake.